Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, welcome to the Heal the Hurt podcast. Today I'm going to talk about how do we get unconditional love? I think it's something everybody wants and everyone's definition will be different and but it kind of includes a lot of similar things it's well it's love it's trust it's support it's kindness it's forgiveness basically all of these i guess i call them buzzwords right you know they're these staples and i wouldn't say any of them are wrong i think they're all right but what's always confused me about all that is what does that mean <laughs> like what is kindness how are you kind? What about support? What is support? What's proper support? Like nobody ever talks about that. They just dump the words and go, oh, well, I know what unconditional love is. It has all these things. But no one ever explains, well, how do you get it? And that's what this is going to be about. How? Because to me, that's the biggest problem in this whole industry is people drop the buzzwords, but they don't tell us how. And that's what I enjoy talking about the most is the process. There's a process to have unconditional love. It's not just this buzzword that we throw out. Like we need to know how, how do I develop it? Because it's something we have to learn. So that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to talk about what I believe, just my personal opinion, which you may disagree with. And if you do, please leave comments because I don't know that I'm right. It's what makes sense to me. It's based on my life experience and, you know, the 30 years of research that I've done and studying and, and you know, my own relationship history and contemplating all these different things. But that's what I'm going to get into is my belief on what it requires and the most important aspect no buzzwords, the actual process. How? How do we get it? Because to me, if you don't know the how, you don't have an answer. And so that's what I'm going to hopefully give you um, the answer to, at least uh, according to my truth. For me, the single most important aspect is safety. And not in the way you would normally think. Like most people, when they think about safety, they think, yes, I need to feel that my partner is safe. See, I disagree with that. In my experience, the only way we get safety is we have to be safe within ourselves until I'm actually safe. How can I bring unconditional love into me? How can I express it? How could I even accept it? If I'm not safe, to me, that's the single biggest ingredient is safety. Then the question becomes, as I said, because that's just a buzzword. How? How do you become safe? Well, I'm going to lay out what I think are the keystones. Now, I could probably talk about this topic for three days straight of all the different ways that I believe we have to learn how to be safe. Um, but I've picked the most significant ones that I think 
you know, they are the bedrock that we need to create the safety that allows unconditional love into our life and allows us to give it to others. So the first aspect in that safety, generating that personal safety, is we have to know what our morals and values are, what our needs and wants, what our negotiables and non-negotiables are. Now, most people go, oh, I know what my morals and values are. Well, have you ever sat down and written them out? And I mean in every area of your life, relationships, career, friends, hobbies, spirituality, politics. I mean, every aspect. See, when in my work with clients, and it was in my own life experience, I see this all the time. Like, I never sat down and wrote down, with my first marriage, I didn't write down what my morals and values were. Well, we were the on the exact opposite sides politically. Our beliefs about sexual intimacy and how often it should happen, totally different. Our beliefs on child rearing, literally every aspect of our life. See, most people get in a relationship because they feel this feeling he or she is hot and sexy and, oh, we get along. And then all of a sudden the relationship breaks up because we have all of these morals and values that don't align. I mean, simple little things. Do you like a clean house or is it okay if it's messy? That's a moral and value. That's a need and want. And is that negotiable? Like that was a decision I made with my second wife. She was literally a pig. Like just a bit. And she admitted it. Like, I'm not disparaging her. We would laugh about it. But she met so many other needs and wants. Because I live very, I mean, look, this is my house. I like it picked up. I, I like things in their place. That's a moral and value of mine. And I don't want to date or be with someone who's messy. Car, you know, stuff like that drives me crazy. Well, I looked at it. And because there were so many things that worked for my morals and values, needs and wants, it became negotiable. And she and I learned, we had a discussion about it and we negotiated a level that was tolerable for both of us. See, do you see how that creates safety? Because if I know exactly what works for me and what's negotiable and non-negotiable, now I know what to communicate to you, what works and doesn't work. And what does that give? Safety, right? But most people never, this is one of the, probably the single, I shouldn't say that, there's so many different things, but it's a major contributing factor to divorce. Nobody has sat down and laid out their morals, values, needs, and wants, negotiables, and non-negotiables. They end up in a relationship with somebody and they go, oh my God, they're an alcoholic. That's non-negotiable. Well, they were an alcoholic the day you met them. Or they had, a, you know, a lot of people, well, I didn't notice it. I just thought he was a partner. But people show us on our first date who they are. And we, we ignore it because we haven't sat down and, and thought through this. And it always turns around and sabotages us. And so we must do this. Because from this place, you're going to see why this is so important. Because it leads to something else I'm going to talk to in a minute. We have to know what our morals and values are, our needs and wants are, our negotiables and non-negotiables, and they will change throughout our life. Think about your own life. Have you changed political affiliations? Do you do a hobby you said you'd never do? Um, I know for me, like, I hated eating as a kid. I had to starve myself. I won't get into the story, but it was a survival mechanism in childhood. I wouldn't eat. I always said I hate it. Well, I love food now. 
Well, that's, do you see that my needs and wants changed? See, they will always change throughout our life. This is a living document, what we find negotiable and non-negotiable. Like now that I've had other experiences and relationships, there are certain things I won't tolerate. They are non-negotiable because I've lived the experience and went, nope, won't have that. That's why this is so important. And you're going to see in a minute how it plays a deeper role into the trust that we need to create unconditional love. <clears throat> the second aspect is boundaries. And most importantly, the ability to say no. The most kind and most loving and the most un unconditionally loving statement we can ever say to our partner is not yes, it's no. That's the lie we've all been taught, is that you have to do and be everything for your partner, always support them, always be on their side. Well, I've used this example many times. What if your partner decided to be a serial killer? Are you going to, I thought you're supposed to have their back, right? We're supposed to say yes. We're always supposed to support them. Well, no, we're not. That's not love. That's conditional. Because look at your own life. Why did your relationships break up? And what did you say afterwards? In my experience, every person, when they're describing the end of a relationship, one element is always, I did this for her and this for her and this for her, and she wouldn't do this. Do you see what that means? It means I said yes to this and this and this only to manipulate out getting this. It wasn't unconditional. It had a price tag because now I'm throwing it back in your face. I have kept score and I have resentment. Those are the three critical factors. Before we ever say yes to anyone or anything, will I keep score? Will I ever throw it in their face or bring it up in the future that I did this for them? Or will I ever have resentment? Now, those are all basically the same thing. But I've learned over the years, everybody sees it differently. They all classify it differently. And that's why I give those three because it, it pulls everybody in. Because some keep score, some throw it in their face, and some are resentful. And what that means is they manipulated. There were conditions to their yes. That's not love. And do you see what no gives me? Then I can trust you. Now, I may be upset, I may have wished you joined me on this pursuit or whatever, but man, man, do I love you. My God, you just saved me from hitting me over the head a month from now with the billy club over how you did this for me and I didn't pay it back. That's safety. That is total safety. So please, if you want unconditional love, what we have to do for us to become safe is we have to start saying no. Stop, please stop saying yes. And here, those are the criteria. Will I ever keep score? Will I ever bring it up or throw it in their face in the future? Or will I have resentment? If you think any of those things will happen, then you must say no if you want to create safety and unconditional love with your partner. That's a, like that is non-negotiable. That must be present to create unconditional love, okay? The next aspect that I have found that virtually no couple has is a confrontation model. 
a way to fight, a way to express themselves that doesn't destroy the other person. Now, I don't have time to go into the confrontation model in this video. I've done previous videos on it where I lay out exactly how to do it. So I'd encourage you, I, I think I'll create a link at the end screen of this video for you to click on um, where you can find it on my YouTube channel so you can learn about the confrontation model and so you can use it in your relationship. But almost everybody, when they fight, they just hurl pain and unforgivable things, um, deep wounds. And the confrontation model protects us from that. It creates safety. It creates trust. And for us to love, we need, uh, for us to love unconditionally, I believe we need that safety. And so without a confrontation model, and most couples, they're like, well, no, nah, I know how to fight. I'm kind. These are learned skills. We haven't been taught, and the way people fight is destructive. Because in those moments, all of our pain comes up. And we can't control ourselves like we can when we're moderate, when we're not in pain. And that's where this stuff comes out. And so we need what I call a shared language. When couples make these commitments, when their morals and values, needs and wants, negotiables and non-negotiables, align about how they're going to pursue unconditional love. They will adopt boundaries that are similar, a similar belief on expressing no. They will have a confrontation model. This is how we're going to fight. And this is, these are the steps we're going to take. And if the other person starts not doing it, we're not going to point it out. We're just going to say, this doesn't work for me. We can address this at another time. And we exit the conversation. We do that. And do you see how by us doing that, we become safe. We're not encouraging and enabling the less than perfect behavior. We're loving them. And they can, even in that moment when they're really upset at us, once they calm down, they'll see, wow, you gave me a lot of safety because you stuck to the morals and values that we placed in this relationship. You stuck to the confrontation model that we decided we were going to use to create the safety for us to have unconditional love in this relationship. Okay. <clears throat> the last piece, and, and again, I could say this would be the most important one, um, but it's, it's not possible to have unconditional love unless both people are committed to doing trauma work on their childhood. And here's why. I know most people are like, oh, don't, here we go again. Childhood stuff, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. You're wrong, you're wrong. My childhood was perfect. Well, that's statistically impossible. And the level of denial in society around the imperfections they experienced in childhood and the wounds they carry is the single greatest reason the world is in the place it is today. All the social unrest, everything, all anyone is doing is is puking out their unhealed childhood trauma. That's been proven by science. There's nothing else that causes disharmony. The root cause of all disharmony in the world is childhood trauma, nothing else. Studies show that 95% of our daily life as an adult, we are not present. We are reliving the subconscious patterning 
that we learned in childhood. Now, I know you think you're an adult and you're making your own decisions and you're present in your life, but unless you've done, I mean, massive amounts of work on your childhood trauma, you're not. You're acting out of subconscious feeling programs that were developed in childhood. And since 70%, these are all science, scientifically based statistics I'm giving you, 70% of all, no matter which, if you say you grew up in a great family, even in the best families, 70% of all messaging we get from our parents as a child is negative, disempowering, and hurtful. 70%. That's what's locked in, logged in your subconscious. And unless you go back and rework the subconscious, unless you go back and do the healing work, you are reliving that 95% of your day. You're, I know people think they're adult, but your reactions, remember the confrontation model? The reason you're spiking in that reaction is you've just gone back to two, four, six, eight, ten 10 years old. You have children fighting with each other, reliving their childhood trauma. That's how it works. <clears throat> and unless we as a society, one, admit that truth, that none of us have escaped childhood without experiencing trauma. And that if you believe that, then I, I'm going to try and say this lovingly. It may come out condescendingly, and that's not, that's not my intent. But if you think you had perfect parents and there's no trauma in your childhood, that means you believe you were raised by a God, somebody perfect. Because think about it. We're all human. In the last month, how many um, hurtful things have you said or done to your friends, family, coworkers, a person on the street? Hundreds, tens, hundreds. We all do. Even the nicest person does things. And many people aren't aware of their hurtful actions because 95% of the day, they're not aware of their actions. They're reliving their childhood, even though they're an adult. And so to believe our childhood was perfect or there's no wounds there means we're not in reality of uh, that we, we believe we were raised by a God that was perfect. Now, this is not meant to disparage parents. I'm not trying to create a revolt of everyone's got to go hate their parents and go in and say, Mom, Dad, you destroyed my life. That isn't it. Because where does the blame end? Where did our parents learn how to parent? From other broken parents that had never learned how to parent. And on and on and on. The blame never lands anywhere. And therefore, there's no reconciliation. So instead, it's about responsibility. It's about getting into reality. Look, we're all hurt. All of us share one common thing. We were hurt in childhood. And only because our parents were hurt in childhood. So it's a common, it's, do you see that bringing that truth out brings us all together? It's a shared experience. The problem is most parents, they do not want to admit they were imperfect. And that's a massive red flag. If you're a parent, and you're getting upset by this, that shows how severe your trauma was as a child. That you, you, because you, it, that the trauma gets so bad as a child, we dissociate and we go into so much denial and condone it and minimize it and suppress it that we can't be present to it. And therefore, as an adult, we can't admit our imperfections. 
we can't admit that we are playing a part. I mean, the studies show, look, the single greatest thing we can do for our children become our emotional condition. So if your children are struggling in life, what you're seeing, your child's struggles are a window into the pain you haven't healed. That's it. That's just behavioral science 101. Children become the emotional condition of their parents. That is the primary cause. Okay? We have to own that as a society and see it as a, instead of a separator or as a blame, but it's a joiner. Do you see? There's unconditional love in that. There's trust in that. There's because there's truth. It's accepting the truth. But without malice, without hatred, with tremendous empathy. Because, wow, if my parents made this imperfect mistake, it means they were taught it too. Now, many people say, well, I did the exact opposite. Well, most often the exact opposite is still hurtful. We've never, we, you know, the other thing we have to remember in, in this aspect is the science of psychology. The first book was written in the 1870s. That's about 150 years ago. And it really wasn't until the 1970s where we really started to research and look at all of this stuff. We're 50 years after millions of years of existence. We are 50 years into really discovering and researching all of this. Does that not bring home how un, and this sounds demeaning, I don't mean it this way, it's the only word popping in my head, but how uneducated we are and how unaware, unaware is probably more loving, how unaware we are of what healthy parenting looks like. Um, like we can't run away from those truths. And so to create safety, we have to become safe. Because if 95% of our life, we're reliving our childhood trauma with our partner, how can we be safe? It's not possible. And, and vice versa. And so this becomes, and, and that's what other people don't realize. The only reason you're attracted to somebody is whatever it is in them reminds you of your childhood trauma. That's all attraction is. Our brain and body gets addicted to the trauma we experienced. And so we relive it until we heal it. That doesn't mean your partner's bad, but you've picked them for the express reason for both of you to go become experts in your pain, join together unconditionally in building the safety you never had as a child. It's the only way you get there. Now, here's, here's what's so important about that. Do you see what happens with fights? When you know that truth and you recognize, wait a minute, I picked this person because they remind me of my childhood trauma. Do you see what that means? When I'm angry and frustrated, I can turn and go, oh my gosh, why did I want this in my life? Why did I want this thing I say I hate? I picked it because I we all get to choose who we're with. We can say no to anyone, but we picked this person. And so now I get to look at myself and go, wow. Let me give you an example because that's hard for people to grasp. They're like, no, I wouldn't want that. Well, let me look. Uh, I'll give you an ex the truth of that. My first marriage, she was physically and verbally abusive. I would never condone that. But she's, I adore her now. Like I adore her more than I ever did when we were married. 
because she was my teacher. Once I learned, I didn't learn any of this until after the marriage. But what I saw was I had a family member who was physically and verbally abusive. I was reliving the trauma I'd never healed in childhood. And I picked somebody who could show me, Kenny, you need to go heal that. Now that doesn't condone her or say that, you know, what she did was okay. But what it points to is because of my brokenness, that's all I was capable of picking. I wouldn't have, I, look, I'm an attractive guy. I could date lots of women. And, and I'll say when I was younger, I was much more attractive. Yet I picked this woman. She's not the problem. I am. Again, it doesn't condone, but I'm responsible for who I pick. And so once I go see, oh my God, my childhood trauma taught me this attraction. Because for those of you who don't know, when we go through trauma, it creates a, a chemical addiction inside of us an emotional chemical addiction. So we repeat it until we heal and change the emotional chemical addiction. And that's what my book and my whole process shows is how to stop that. Okay. That I had to go learn it on my own because no one out there teaches it. All right. Um, and so once I found that I could free, and that's what gives me, I have total forgiveness because I can see my part in it and that she loved me perfectly for who I was at the time. So that's what we don't realize is these frustrations we have, they're loving us perfectly for who we are. Those frustrations are a representation of the part of ourselves we still need to heal. So do you see how the fight ends and creates safety and trust? Because I recognize everything I hate about you is everything I haven't healed in me. Oh, that's a good quote. I should, I'll forget that. I may have to write that down, but yeah, everything I hate about you is everything I haven't healed in me. <clears throat> and that, do you see how that creates connection and, and ends the disconnection? There's two more things in this. Unconditional love takes time. It's not immediate. And that's what people think is that it just happens. Do you see what this requires because none of us, because of our imperfect childhoods, we've lost the ability to love unconditionally. All right. Our parents put conditions on us. Think about it. You're not going to get dinner until you clean your room. Boom. Right. We all had conditions placed on us. So we have to go relearn how to do this unconditionally. And that takes time. There's, I, I haven't talked about the love extensively. And honestly, I can't remember the, the gentleman's name, but a friend of mine showed me a man who has researched love extensively. And he wrote about, I, I believe it was the four phases of love. And it was beautiful. God, it was just like, man, he really gets it. And in my experience in relationships, the four levels that he's talking about, he's dead right. I've experienced them. And, um, and it takes a massive maturation process because honestly, whether you're 20 or 60 years old, when we get in a relationship, you have two children. Unless both have done massive work on their childhood trauma, we're all, we're all adult children, what's called the adapted wounded child. That's what all of us are living our life in. We're just children. And so we get to choose to mature into adulthood together and create unconditional love. And I know that sounds demeaning. And I, the difficulty with a lot of the stuff I talk about is 
it sounds like I'm talking down to everybody. And that it's, I'm just trying to give the information that's, it's true. And I keep working on how to say it. So if you feel demeaned, that's not my intent, but it is to bring light to why we can't find it. And unless we accept these as truths without shaming and blaming ourselves, see if we shame and blame ourselves when we hear truth, that's evidence of childhood trauma. <clears throat> so that's what this brings us. When we do that work, we lose all of that. We go, oh yeah, I'm imperfect. Like, do you see the joy I express when I talk about being physically and verbally abused? Like, I don't have shame about it. I was imperfect. And so was she. Because I also know she didn't, the only reason she did that is because of what she went through in her childhood. Again, I don't condone it, but I can empathize with it. And I can accept her pain. Now, I don't have to carry it. And I don't get anywhere near her because she's still dangerous. But it doesn't mean I have to walk around with resentment or shame or blame for me or her. I can have freedom because that's what adulthood and moderation brings. That's what all of this brings. And that leaves us with the last point. And this is what will happen with unconditional love. See, everyone goes into a relationship trying to protect. I don't want to lose you. I want to guarantee that you'll be here till the rest of my life. Well, that's just not possible. That's a child view. That's very immature. And no, no unconditional love can't happen from that place because think about it. Remember what the first step was, morals and values? Remember, it's a living document. Think, if you're 40 years old, how much of your morals and values changed? Drastically, they change all the time. And so unconditional love is the recognition that the best, the best I can ever do and I can ever ex expect is that today, I love you. That's it. I can only guarantee you today because I'm ever evolving. I'm ever changing. I'm ever growing. And my morals and values and my needs and wants may shift. And that's not a rejection of you. That's an empowerment of me. I'm pursuing the best version of myself, which is loving. Because if I'm pursuing the best version of myself, you have safety. And then you get to wake up each day and go, ooh, do I like the best version of them? Does it align with my morals and values, needs and wants, negotiables and non-negotiables? If it doesn't, then the most loving thing I can say to them is no. I see that where you're going and who you are, we are going in different directions. And you know what? I love you enough that I'm not going to change me or change you and hold it against you and throw it in your face and have resentment. I'm, and therefore, I'm not going to see it as a rejection of me because it's not about me. It's about you being as authentic as possible. And man, I love that you gave me one, five, 10, 20, 50 years of safety being you. I could trust that. Every day you told me no. Every day you shared your morals and values. Every day when we disagreed, you looked at yourself and realized this is my pain I need to heal. Every day you woke up and you faced the pain from your past. And that gave me safety. And I'm so blessed 
that I got this one hour or a hundred years of unconditional love from you. That is how you create it. The best we can ever give anyone is today. Nothing more. Nothing more. And when we have faith in that, when that becomes our view of unconditional love, we've arrived. Now we're safe, not only for ourselves, but for others. So I'm guessing a lot of people might disagree with a lot of things I said. So I'm always open to learning. I'm not right. You know, it's just my life experience. So please leave comments. Maybe I'm, you bring up something like, oh gosh, of all the things to leave out, I should have included that. You're so right. So please leave your comments. If you like this, please like it. And if you want to share it with others, if you think it might help people um, and start a discussion, please do that or subscribe, whatever works for you. Um, I appreciate you watching and I hope that's helped you. I hope you walk away with something to think about and maybe consider. And I think most of all, what I hope is that most, you, the most important thing is you consider, you know what, maybe there is pain from my past and the best way to, to get what I really want is to go heal that. That's my hope for everyone. So have a great day.